0: Okay, let me give you a moment's reflection here.
1: In his final hours on Earth, serial killer Ted Bundy decided it was time to drop the facade of innocence.
0: I just wrote, I just said that the Hawkins girl's head was severed.
1: Leading experts in the criminal mind thought they knew everything there was to know about Bundy.
2: I'm going to use a language that's a little tough, but this guy is a real sick fuck, okay?
1: But a set of raw, unedited confessional recordings, kept away from the public by the FBI until now, shine new light on his dark soul. Well,
0: you would have found probably you would have found damage to the head, the jaw in particular, probably broken.
1: I'm investigative reporter Chris Halsney, and this is Interview with Evil, Ted Bundy's FBI Confessions. It's a rare privilege to visit Seattle criminal psychologist Dr. Ken Muscatel's office and not be involved directly in some kind of horrendous murder. Hi. Hi how you doing? Hi. My name is Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Dr. Muscatel's specialty is analyzing the mental state of killers. He does it for both prosecutors and defense attorneys alike.
2: I got my PhD from the University of Washington in 1979, which was when dinosaurs actually ruled the earth. And uh, I have, God, I've done well over 700 homicide cases over the course of my career at this point. And just then, I've done a lot of cases with children. Including, I've done just over 60 homicide cases with children who are the alleged perpetrators from under the age of 16 all the way down to 11. By any definition, if you're thir- if you're 16, 13, your brain is not even remotely developed.
1: I first met him about 20 years ago when I was working as an investigative reporter in Seattle. I wrote seven, Eyewitness News at five. We shared a fascination with the arrest of Green River killer Gary Ridgway. Investigative reporter Chris Halsney joins us now live along the SeaTac Strip. Well, prostitutes who worked this area in the early 1980s say that Green for killing suspect Gary Leon Ridgway was a frequent and weird customer. But I was
0: thought I was doing you guys a favor,
2: killing, killing prostitutes here. You guys can't control them, but I can. What did Gary Ridgway say? He said, you know, one of the things he said about why he did it was because he was he was good at it.
1: With his dark-rimmed eyeglasses and trimmed gray goatee, Dr. Muscatel looks a lot like famed psychologist Sigmund Freud only Dr. Muscatel has a full head of hair. Let's do it this way,
0: here's the grassy area.
1: We are here to speak with them about a series of audio recording admissions made by serial killer Ted Bundy, only a few days before his execution.
0: What's the Attorney General of Washington
1: willing to do? Dr. Muscatel, as it turns out, knew Ted Bundy long before Bundy was ever suspected of anything. I would see,
2: literally, T. Bundy, you know, yeah, he was, he worked, as a, he worked as a counselor a therapist at Harborview Mental Health Center. Yes. I knew I had a, a colleague who, was a, who knew him. Who had, she, he invited her over to dinner.
1: Dr. Muscatel never had a chance to diagnose Bundy in person, but as he listened to the four and a half hours worth of death row audio recordings with me, it didn't take him long to zero in on Bundy's motives.
2: He was do, he's been doing a sales job, and now this is his, his, his closer. His, his Okay, so I'm gonna close. So we'll close the sale. He's at the la- He's at the end of his options. So what has he got to negotiate with? So what he did, and they know what he did, but he's got information. So he's not only uh, uh, giving information about victims, which are going to run out sooner or later, right? Once you run out of un- un- unsolved cases, then you're done. Yes. So he's got to- What else does he have to offer? He have to you. I have something inside me that I can articulate that you guys need to understand and you could gain and save people by not putting me to death. What do you gain versus what do you lose?
1: As the creator of this podcast, I made a few decisions about how best to share these rare recordings and provide listeners with the best insight possible into how Bundy's mind worked. I'm going to let him speak unedited for longer amounts of time than your typical sound bites. I want you to hear the nuance in his words, his manipulative pauses and storytelling abilities. We either
0: convince the right people it's now or never and that we, to do a proper job for everybody, we're gonna, I'm gonna need some time. Here's the scene.
1: January 20, 1989, Florida State Prison in Rayford. It's Friday. Bundy is set to be executed by electric chair on Monday night or Tuesday morning. Okay, how do I expect this to proceed? Well, this is what I hope we can uh,
0: together uh,
1: work on. He'd been sentenced to death in three separate trials for a series of murders and rapes in Florida. He'd been offered plea deals in return for his admission of guilty, but he refused, proclaiming innocence over and over again. Now... In this moment, finally, he says he's ready to admit to his horrible crimes. In return, though, Florida's governor, Bob Martinez, was going to have to delay the execution. How could he expect to get through all the details of 30 or 40 killings
0: in one weekend? Those people want to know about what I've done. Um... uh, I think should be interested whether or not I have a chance to to tell it. And I'm not talking about clemency. I'm not talking about weekend furloughs. You know, I'm not talking about uh, anything unusual except to give us a a, a reasonable period of time uh, for law enforcement to have a systematic and deliberate. Um, make a systematic and deliberate attempt to, uh, to know everything I, that, that I have to, uh, to tell them and make use of it, both in specifically in solving cases, finding remains, and in, in the, the more general aspects of the kinds of things that Bill's um, unit works with, I mean, in, in the overall understanding to prevention, detection, that kind of stuff. But off the top, obviously, it's the, it's the individual cases. Uh, I mean, the, that uh, that you, I'm sure, and other law enforcement people are most interested in. The
1: bill he's referring to is William Hegemeyer. He's one of the FBI's original criminal profilers. His colleagues describe him as smart, more of a college professor than a hardened street cop. He barely says a word for days
0: while sitting, listening to Bundy. Okay, I'm, I'm just rambling on here. I, uh, uh, just break in any time and... and because I know that uh, I'm sure that you, over the years, you have uh, uh, developed some sort of feelings of insight, or uh, to say the least, and some maybe even some animosity that you'd like to get off your chest. <laughs> but uh, we need to talk very frankly here. Bundy has a parade
1: of detectives from around the country waiting to speak with him.
0: We just can't get any everybody in here in in the next two three days. Uh, so uh, and. Uh, You know better than I what a good and reliable interrogation consists of. There are
1: unsolved homicide cases in Colorado, Idaho, Utah, Montana, California, Oregon. But on this day, representatives from those states were going to have to wait. I hear you, Bob. Bundy prioritizes visiting with Washington State Detective Bob Keppel. This wasn't random. Bundy was comfortable with Keppel because the two had been secretly chatting for years while Bundy waited on
0: death row. More on that later. Because, basically, it all began in Washington state, that is, that's where I was living, that's where I grew up as a kid, and that's where I grew up as a young man, and, and those kinds of uh, images, impulses, and behaviors which ultimately led to the violent behavior you know, occurred if you will, in Washington state, that the kind of uh, broad understanding that I'm looking for is uh, going to come, you know, uh, during those years I lived in Washington state. Uh, You know, unfortunately, I guess from your standpoint, it was Washington, basically Washington state where those first crimes, incidences, murders took place.
1: The serial killer said he trusted Keppel to share his detailed memories of his kidnapping and murder of one of his first victims, 18-year-old University of Washington
0: student, George Ann Hawkins. Let me start with one. Let me start this way. Um, the unidentified remains. Uh, um, this is where I'm a little bit... Uh, the presence of the officers down here is a little bit unnerving. Some of it, some of this stuff I don't mind talking about because they wouldn't know it from Adam. But I, but names I will, I can write it down, or I can whisper it to you, or whatever. whatever. I just don't want the police getting any kind of names at this point. Yeah, and then I'll just write the name down for you. All right. Uh, did you say that? This, this is the name that I just wrote down: was George Ann Hawkins.
2: He's enjoying the process. I mean, he's not, there's where's no distress, there's no fear, there's no anxiety evident, if you listen to the voice, where is it, where is this, this is where he feels in control, this is where he, this is how he's dealt with things, he always feels in, when he's doing this, this is, he when he feels like he's playing people like a violin, he feels in control.
0: Okay, let me give you a moment's reflection here. Yeah, I'll uh, talk real low.
2: I just, I'll give you one thing just to keep in mind. A thousand and one Arabian knight, Scheherazade, who extended her life by telling stories.
0: Turn this ill-omened beast out from among us. The captain said, let us kill it. Another said, slay it with the sword.
2: She was a comp guy, he was going to execute her. You know, he was kill her and she told this great story, probably was sexual, and so she got another night, And then she got another night and she got another night. So just just think about that.
0: I'm at the point, finally, where I see that I'm going to have to tell you and, and others everything that I know with regard to so-called unsolved cases.
1: So Bundy was ready to start his story, now, rich in detail it, and drama about one of his first kills. There weren't any reporters in the room, only the FBI agent, the King County detective, a correctional guard, and Bundy's young attorney.
0: I don't even, I can't remember what day. Of, I can't remember what night of the week it was.
1: Keppel hit play and monitored the narrowing width of tape left on each side of the cassette, so he could pause the conversation and flip it over when the time came.
0: On a warm Seattle, May night. I mean, it was. I think it was clear. The weather had been fairly good. I was. Uh, at about midnight at a... in the alleyway, uh, behind... I like, may have my streets wrong here, but... in an alleyway, did you hear that? Mm-hmm. Uh, behind... Uh, those, uh, the sorority and fraternity houses that would have been... 45th, 46th, 47th... 47th, somewhere in there. Uh, in back of the... Uh, well, in back of the houses across the alley and across the other side of the block, there was a the a congregational church, I believe, and some parking lots in back of the sorority and fraternity houses. Uh, I was moving up the alley uh, using a, uh, a briefcase in some crutches. And the young woman walked down. I saw, saw her round the, the north end of the block into the alley and stop for a moment and then keep on walking down the alley toward me. And About halfway down the block, I encountered her and asked her to help me carry the briefcase. Which she did, and we walked back up the alley, across the street, turned Right on the sidewalk, in front of I think the well, fraternity house on the corner there. Uh, Round at the corner to the left, going north on 47th. Well, midway in the block, there used to be a you know one of those parking lots they used to make out of burned down houses in that area. The university would turn them into parking lots, instant parking lots. It was a parking lot there dirt dirt, uh, um, surface, no lights, and my car was parked
2: there. On a dark and stormy night, okay, there's, there's a, this is completely, and, and it probably is true, but you remember, he may not remember it at the time. I mean, he may, his memory, so a lot of this could be reconstruction in his mind. What was the weather like? I can remember, you know, he, so he's piecing. So this, some of this can be a confabulation. I mean, he probably remembers the key elements of it, but he is telling a story. Again, I refer you to Scheherazade. That he is telling an enticing story. If a good enough story, he will buy another day. Basically, when
0: I reached the car, what happened was I knocked her, knocked her unconscious with the crowbar. Where do you have that? By the car, right outside. outside and back of the car. Did she see it? No. Okay. No. And then uh, there was some, there was some handcuffs there, along with the crowbar. Along with crowbar. The crowbar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, they handcuffed her and put her in the drivers, I mean the passenger side of the car, and drove away.
1: Alive or dead,
0: oh, no, no, she was quite, con- not that uh, she was unconscious, but she was very much alive. Wait a minute, hold it. Uh drove what what that drove uh down the alley uh, uh to fiftieth, I believe. Northeast, fiftieth. Or what you know, the, the street going east and west. Turn left.
1: Seattle's geography isn't that hard to envision, even if you've never looked at a map. Uh, to the west, the there's water. It's yeah. Puget Sound, which connects to the Pacific Ocean. Behind then going it, east, there's the this tiny yeah, strip really, of land where the main city sits. And, uh, then a huge lake, Lake way way Washington, where the University of Washington has its campus. Then suburbs, the which time. end in the Cascade Mountains.
0: Uh, she was conscious at this time. Maybe she'd regained consciousness at this time, basically. Um, well, there's a lot of incidental things that I'm just not getting it. you know, I'm not talking about because they're just, uh because it's just that incidental anyway. Uh went across the bridge, across Mercer Island, uh, east, past Jusquah, up the hill, down the road, and up to the grassy area.
1: Bundy's grassy area, one of his body dump sites, it's a good twenty-minute drive from the U-Dubs sorority row. How did you get across i your
0: When I mean up in. Driving eastbound on I-90. Right. Well. Not of that road. Not, not then there wasn't. That huh? no, you could, like I, like I told you, you could turn. At that time, you could make a left-hand turn, illegal as it may have been, because of a double yellow line. Now you, I mean, that was a crazy. I mean, talk about craziness. I mean, if there had been a state patrolman there, he would probably arrested me. <laughs> but you know, nevertheless, at that time there was no uh, divider running down the middle of that road at that point. I can tell you, I know. I mean, you're right. It would have been pretty damn hard to do it if there was. But all you had to do was just make a uh, an, an illegal left-hand turn all the way across. Well, the the westbound two westbound lanes of 90. And right into that side um uh, road uh that ran parallel tonight. Okay. What
1: happened after that?
0: Well uh, parked, took her out of the van and took the handcuffs off her and uh, of and took took her out of the car. And you driving what? The Volkswagen. Said van. Did I say, well, no, I didn't. I'm sorry if I, I didn't. it wasn't a, yeah, we that one, van. well, okay, well, it wasn't, it was a Volkswagen, and, uh, uh, took her out of the car, and I think I said it took the handcuffs off, maybe that sounded like van, anyway, uh, and, uh, this is probably the hardest part, I don't know. I know we're talking sort of abstractly before, but uh, we're getting into some, we're getting right down to it. And uh, I will talk about it. It's just, uh, I hope you understand. It's not something that uh, I find easy to talk about. After all this time.
2: Notice, he, for example, he didn't talk anything about the ride there. She's aw- oh, she's awake at this time, what is she doing? She's screaming? Yes, probably. Is she crying? Yes, probably. doesn't describe any of that. He doesn't describe her suffering. He's describing, well, it's difficult for me to talk about it. Give a shit, pardon my French, okay? But it's difficult for you to talk about it you're talking about a human re- reaction. He's not talking about her
0: suffering, okay? One of the things that makes it a little bit, well, among the things that makes it difficult is that uh, at this point she was quite lucid talking about things. About some... <laughs> it's, it's funny, it's not it's fu- funny, but it's odd the kinds of th- things people say in, under those circumstances. And she thought, she said that she thought that she had a... Spanish test the next day, and she thought that I had taken her to help tutor me for a Spanish test. It's kind of odd. Odd thing to say. Anyway. It's a the long short of it. I mean, I'll, I'm going to maybe try to make this. Uh, get there by degrees the long and short of it was that that i again knocked her unconscious and strangled her and drug her into uh, about 10 yards into the small grove of trees that was there
1: what you with
0: cord an old an old piece of an old piece of rope Something we brought there with? Yeah. yeah. Something that was in the car. Mm-hmm. Okay. They went in. Then I uh, packed the car up. By this time it was almost dawn. It's just about dawn. Sun was coming up. Mm-hmm. And I went through my usual, I say usual routine, I went through this routine where I was just absolutely I would go through this, but on this particular morning, I, I was just absolutely, again, just shocked, kind of scared to death, shocked, horrified, about. and I went down the road throwing everything that i had had, the briefcase out the window, throwing the briefcase, the, the, the crutches, the rope, the clothes, just tossing them out the window. I just had, I just was just, I was in a, a sheer state of panic of just absolute horror you know uh, it's like at that point in time consciousness of what has really happened is like you break out of a fever or something I would that is and uh, so I would, I drove north on 90 then uh, northeast on 90 at some point throwing articles out the window as I went Articles of clothing, shoes, etc.
1: This next part is a little hard to hear, so I'm pausing. Detective Keppel's question is really important. He challenges Bundy by pointing out a massive hole in the story he just told. Bundy never mentioned removing Georgianne Hawkins's clothes.
0: When did you remove those? What? The shoes clothing. Well, after we got out of the car. Initially. Okay. Well, I skipped over some stuff there and we'll have to get back to it sometime, but I don't feel, I just, it's just too hard for me to talk about right now. Okay,
2: stop. Just for a second. Okay, so it's just about dawn. So what time did he grab her? Six. Six hours. So he had her for hours and hours and hours, okay? So he's sort of saying, well, I just, you know, then finally just knocked her out, like minimized, you know, and she was out and then I strangled her while she's unconscious. What happened in those hours? He either tormented her psychologically, physically or both by four hours. It wasn't a a quick, he didn't knock her out and and, and she dropped, she was dead and strangled her and then took her straight out and disposed of the body. He in fact took her out while she was still alive. Took her all the way into someplace remote and then had her there for two, three, four hours and then finally killed her and disposed of the body. That's an important element in understanding what he was about.
1: What he was all about. Well, that is why the FBI has been using these unedited Bundy recordings during training in its behavioral analysis unit. The
0: the Hawkins girl's head was severed and taken up the road about 25 to 50 yards. of the road on a rocky hillside did you hear that mm-hmm. I give you that because I mean we t- I felt that it might be worthwhile to start there because one that hadn't been discovered before right. okay that was more or less a question mark uh, to a point you know we all know what the suspicions were but basically Uh, And so those people, uh, you know, among other things, the family there might be able to, I don't know if you still even have those separate unidentified remains, but in any case, I think that was a uh, good place to start. By the way,
1: former Detective Bob Keppel has spoken at length over the years about his Bundy encounters inside the prison, including with me. A good friend of his, another long time homicide detective, tells me Keppel's health has been deteriorating and he's likely done his last interview on this subject. So, what, you remember what clothes he was wearing
0: right now? Yep. Oh, uh, a pair of white patent leather clogs, blue slacks. Some kind of halter top of which he had a a shirt tied in a knot. Okay. And these, where were these deposits? Along the roadside? Mm -hmm. I mean, well, not right along 90. uh, Went east to the infamous Taylor Mountain Road. What highway is that? 18. 18. Turn right, went. South again, and at some point south of Taylor Mountain, a lot of that stuff went out of the car down the down embankments and what have you. Yeah. No, I would stop, pull over the side of the road. It was time. It was it was pretty light, yeah. and just tossed it out. Well, you see, I mean the. I mean, I didn't. Uh, uh, there were sometimes I would do that, and sometimes I wouldn't. It, it would. This at this point in time, I was so frantic, so panicked, so whatever about what had happened that I was just had to get every reminder of that incident out of the car.
1: To be frank, Doctor Muscatel just isn't buying Bundy's horror or panic story. Remember, he's listened to the confessions and reasonings of hundreds of murderers who have slaughtered more than a 1,000 people. Based on that vast experience, Dr. Muscatel believes the emotion Bundy was likely feeling, but not admitting to, was the high of plain God.
2: If nothing else, he's not overwhelmed by emotion. He feels completely in control. The urge and he's satisfying this desire for control and, and desire, you know, desire to kill, might be the desire just to have total control, which and the ultimate total control will be to take this person's life, dispose of them and get away with it and do it again. And that's tremendous control.
1: Bundy controlled that prison interview room too. He gave up one big secret, confirming his kidnapping and murder of George Ann Hawkins. But he made it clear that was only a taste, a bargaining chip, his way to prove he was serious about helping police solve all his other
0: crimes. I mean, that night is like, is like some kind of dream, you know, a very blurry, very nightmarish. And the, I'm, I have trouble piecing it together, but we'll it's going to take me a while to work on that one. Okay.
1: Keppel asked if he could get some feeling as to how many women and girls Bundy had killed in Washington state alone. The answer was tantamount to playground taunting.
0: We get some sort of feeling, if you can't remember names, as to maybe timing or events or something that will tell me, that, give me an idea of how many people we need to talk about. Locations, uh, things like that, if I get an idea of the scope in Washington. Right. Yeah. I think it's a. I think it'll be eleven. Eleven altogether. Yeah. I could give you probably most of the okay, the the, the names or some names and some locations all right. if that don't have names, okay? But okay. Well, this is basically what I want to avoid. The
1: interrogation went on for hours that first day. Bundy never stopped his sales pitch, though, about how keeping him alive would aid in a deeper understanding of how his mind worked, which would be a benefit to society for all time.
0: Well, Bill, I could corroborate. Um, Something on virtually every one of these. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm almost without a doubt on every one of these in one way or another. I mean, that's the. the uh, I don't think anybody doubts that uh, that I've done some bad things. Uh, the question is what, of course, and, and how, and, and maybe even most importantly, why. Is there something to learn? He's
1: talking about how important he is for the FBI and behaviorists to, that's exactly right. to study him. He believes that is in fact that true is there a lot to learn from these kinds of recordings about the next potential Ted Bundy yeah, yes I mean is it worthwhile listening to this stuff yes
2: Listening there's no substitute for talking to a person but and we listen to recordings but there's no substitute for their interaction there's a lot to learn about the next Ted Bundy you, I hate to be blunt but you're never going to learn enough about the next Ted Bundy to prevent the next
0: Ted Bundy she's up in the mountains. Uh, Up in the Cascades.
1: I'm investigative reporter Chris Halsney. Coming up in the next segment of Interview with Evil, Ted Bundy's FBI Confessions, we hear from one of the world's leading experts on serial killers, Dr. Sasha Reed. I think if people really did hear him in his own words, saying what he did. I wonder if that would change people's perception of who he is. Because I think we see this person who people say is a monster, and we know maybe
0: he did it, but we don't know what he did.
1: Her take on these rare recordings in our next podcast. She's also going to tell us where Bundy ranks within her database of nearly 6,000 serial killers and why there is only one common characteristic that she's ever found which connects every serial killer on the planet. Real quick before you go, please visit our Patreon page after each episode for additional raw content, early podcast releases, and other Bundy audio recordings which have never been heard. The funds will be used to further investigative journalism and my personal quest to get government agencies to release records, into the public realm.